So this is my friend Kevin. Kevin um, and I have been friends for um, two decades, two 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 and a half decades or so. And um, I love Kevin. And uh, Kevin is. um, I once had a picture of him, and this is not a belittling picture, but it was that he was a really useful engine. And he is. Kevin's an incredible gift. Um, You'll maybe know Kevin, or you've maybe seen different aspects of Kevin. Some of you will know this person who is Ruth's husband, or you'll maybe know him as a dad, you'll maybe know him as a GP, you'll maybe know him as somebody who loves Jesus. You'll maybe know him as that funny guy who once came over to me and said, oh, I hope you don't mind, but I have a a picture or a word for you. And he was pivotal in your life in understanding what God thinks of you. You may be from another church that Kevin rocked up one week and had an incredible dream or a vision for you that has just unlocked loads of different things. So what I'm saying is you may know Kevin for lots of different reasons. And I know you for a few different uh, reasons, but I love you first because you're my friend and I have your back and I'm excited about doing life together with you, Kevin. Thank you. Um, Before I ask you any questions, um, should we pray? Sounds great. Father God, you are a story writer. You write your story through creation, you write your story through scripture, you write your story through church and people like us. So I pray today as we listen in to Kevin's story, Heavenly Father will hear your story. And I want to pray in this room that new stories would start today. And the starting word is hope came home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So if you know, if you don't know, that's fine. But over the last few months, we've been walking through Acts, the book of Acts. And this is where you see, I mean, some would kind of call it God's story or the church's story or kind of like God's story through the church. And what we're kind of doing for the next few weeks is just hearing some stories along the way. And I wanted to ask Kevin some questions. So we know you today in 2020. Yeah. But what, did, what would it have been like for us to meet Kevin McStay at 21 or 19 or 13 or 5? Yep, yeah. okay. Different. Is that a broad enough? Oh, quick question. Uh, uh, what's your favorite color? Ooh, uh, probably green. Green? All right. Yeah. Uh, favorite football team? Uh, Newcastle United. Newcastle. All right. Okay. But if Carlisle <laughs> was playing Newcastle, oh no, <laughs> Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> a man of in- Sorry, But that's it. A man of integrity, Sorry. so we can believe him now. Right? <laughs> all right. So that's all the superficial questions Absolutely. done. No, the deep ones. Come yeah, on. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if we were to meet you in those early stages of your yep. life, who would we have met? I was brought up on the northeast coast um, in Newcastle. Um, I was the middle of three children. My older sister, Deborah, is a couple of years older. My younger brother, uh, he's five years younger. Um, yeah, those particular ages are sort of 
ages of, of trauma. Um, so, yeah, about the age of five. Life was happy probably up until about the age of five. Those are my last sort of happy memories in, in that sense. Um, I've, I've had a few since then, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, but, yeah. I'm talking about the last happy memory. Last happy memory. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's come in. Um, yeah, so yeah, brought up there. Um, Mum was a Catholic background, Dad Anglican background. Um, I was at a convent school. I was about the age of five. I suddenly got into prayer for some reason, um, and my church was important. I had horrendous nightmares, and then I start school refusing. And that was just a, a crazy space of, um, why was I doing this thing? I just, the anxiety, uh, I, I knew my mum was really unwell, uh, so she had a lot of depression. She wasn't always around hospital and things. She would collapse at times, and that would cause a lot of anxiety in me. And so the whole school re- refusal then went on for you know some years and things. I uh, became very, certainly quite fearful of anybody in authority. So teachers, my dad, were you know, quite fearful figures. I would be quite afraid of them. Um, you know, um, the discipline in my home was, was fairly laying on of hands. And <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you, you learn not to step out of line, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, life went on into my, uh, probably I went to a, a, a secondary school that was um, a private school and yeah again lots of school refusal I, wh- why was it why was I going to the bus stop and then getting off the next stop and coming back home and I just stand in the driveway did I dare go in and tell my parents I hadn't gone to school again um, and I was just so nervous around this time I, I lived in Wall's End and I was subject to a lot of bullying so the schools around I learned to run at this age I ran so I would run from school run home pick up my bag and and I would so that I wasn't beaten up so I would get, sometimes be beaten up um, in Wall's End and so I would run and uh, yeah that's why I think I ran five minute miles by the age of 12 13 I learned to run and, uh, I mean, you were fast. <laughs> I was, but I look back and I think it was because of all the bullying. So I would run, run from the bus. I would, uh, absolutely, I'd run down the streets, and if I could get in the house, then that was a safe place. I actually went to Walls and Vineyard just a few months ago, and somebody said to me, "You must have a lot of happy memories around here." And I just filled up wow. because I, I couldn't think of many happy memories around my, my hometown because it was a place of, you know, being being afraid of who might jump out on you and things. So I lived in a lot of fear. When I did go to secondary school, I, um, I, yeah, this whole anxiety, sort of fear, fear of running. I actually got so afraid. I enjoyed running. I'd run 10, 12, 14 miles, and I would feel freedom. But when I ran for the school, I was just expected to win, and that was a real, real pressure. So I, I wouldn't sleep two weeks before an event, if I was running for the year groups above, then they would threaten to beat me up on the way round. So the answer was run faster. If you couldn't be overtaken and caught, then I, I wouldn't be spiked, I wouldn't be hit. So there was a whole up and down to sort of the whole competitive competition side of things. There. That, it seems, yeah. Kevin, like there's a lot of pressure and a lot of yeah. anxiety yeah. on a young life. Yeah. So yeah. 
Yeah, and then it all kicked off around 13 when my dad had a major car crash, and so he was on ITU for four months, um, so he nearly died. And I remember answering the door, and there's these two policemen there. I remember my sisters were saying, oh, he's dead. I don't don't think he's dead. But severe trauma came into life then. And my mum's alcoholism really took off then. Um, So that was a, yeah, just another level of, as a sort of middle child, I took it on myself to try and empty out bottles. I'd empty out the cupboards of the vodka and gin. And I'd try and dilute wine down and put salt in to stop my mum and... Then, you know, just a, a taxi would pull up and then I could hear the clink of bottles again. So I'll be trying to protect her against my dad and the domestic violence that went on. So I was afraid of, you know, how my dad reacted. He was, he was a GP, so I didn't see much of him. He went out about 7.30 in the morning, back at 9 o'clock at night. And I, and I, you know, I look back and I know that he felt he was doing the best for us, you know, we had as much money as we needed. I didn't need to, I wasn't in need of anything in that sense, um, apart from a hug, perhaps, you know, and being <laughs> loved. You know. not, not that they didn't love me, but the expression of that was quite hard. So, yeah, the the, the alcohol thing, so again, mum was in that hospital, and, um, yeah, you just, you'd go for your cereal in the morning, you'd find another um, half bottle of gin there or something, and just, it was, quite soul-destroying that. I was afraid to bring um, friends home in case uh, my mum was lovely, but if she'd been drinking, bizarre things would, would happen. She'd be quite disinhibited with my friends. I was oh, that's really embarrassing, and she would say things, uh, or she'd produce a meal that wasn't a meal. And so, so that I felt a lot of embarrassment. I felt personal shame. I felt personal responsibility for how I could sort the house out surely I was somehow I could fix this so yeah feeling a a lack of being able to fix something was was of a concern to me um so this is about the age of 13 so this 13 14 yeah so when we hear that it doesn't seem like hope was playing a big part of your life did you have any hope at that stage in your life? I mean, you yeah. mentioned earlier that at yeah. the age of five, you got into prayer, and you kind of said that. Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. had two children who have both been five. They get into lots of things, but they don't always get into prayer. Yeah. What do you mean that you got into prayer? Or did, did prayer get into you, or you got into prayer? And where, what role did prayer have along that good. way? Good. Yeah, um, I was sort of passionate that God, that there was a God out there. I had been from a young age, and I just remember um, I used rosary beads, so I was you know, sort of from a Catholic background, and I just knelt down at my bedside, and I would uh, do my formal prayers. There were Our Fathers, Hail Marys. I was convinced that there was a better way to live life. Uh, the logo on my convent school badge said Veritas, which was truth, and I felt there was truth, and that to live life truthfully, honestly, there was something about telling truth that was really, really important. So, yeah, if I'd fallen out with somebody before in before going to bed that night, I felt I should go and truthfully say sorry or, or deal with that. So, and those are my mum's values. You know, mm. so she was really high on those. So she communicated a lot in that sense. Um, 
I was passionate about church. There was something about church. And I didn't want to live some of the lives that some people were living with sort of multiple girlfriends and things. That I, You know what? I wanted, I wanted the wife to drop out the sky and children. That's all I ever wanted in life. So, so on, to, even if we met you at 13 or 14, yeah. you're part of a family which isn't always working. No. But at that point, you would have still said, I want a wife to drop out the sky. Absolutely. And I want to be a dad. Yep, that was it. And have about 15 children. So, so we only got to four. <laughs> only. You don't put the word only before four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, was my, that was a passion. I really felt something passionate about family life, about God. So when I was young, I think I told you the story, we went to church and I remember saying to my mum, where's Jesus? And she said, oh, he's at the front behind the curtain over there. Oh, wow. But the thing was, we went to another church another day. And I was like, so where's Jesus now if he's at the other church behind the curtain? So that was really playing on my mind. The idea of Jesus being everywhere was kind of all all crazy. But, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so... Yeah, I, get my, I did go to a CEO house party, Christian Union house party, about the age of 12, 13. And my friends said to me, oh, you must go, it's, it's absolutely fantastic, you know, play tennis and football and all those things. Just watch out for the meetings in the evening. You know, if you go to them, they'll play guitars and, and they'll want you to invite Jesus into your life. Well, I got, I got quite moved by the evening, uh, on these evenings, and we were allowed to. So I went into this room and I knelt down and... Yeah, I, I honestly felt like I prayed for this person they were talking about. I didn't fully understand, but would Jesus come into my life? Um, I went home and told my parents, and they said, oh, they are Bible bashers. And I thought, I have no idea what a Bible basher is, but okay. So don't don't go to that again, was the sort of the, the message, the communication. And then I got into drinking. So, you know, it's a fairly northern thing. So you know, you'd learn to go on a Friday, Saturday, and you know, how many pints could you get down? So it'd be eight, nine, ten pints. You know, by, by the time I was 18, you know, you, were, you could probably get a couple of nights, get through 20, 30 pints of Guinness and half a bottle of whiskey or something like that. So I could, I could get some drink down. So um, for people looking in or for us mm, to meet you yeah. at 19... Yep. yep. You may have referred to, oh, I had this weekend away encountering yep. Jesus, kind of inviting my life. Yep. But to look at your life from the I was, outside. I was a happy-looking guy. I was outgoing. I was, um, I was actually quite inspiring still in terms of I believed in teams. Um, so I'd had a lot of dreams when I was five about my school. And people in my school, I was helping mobilize the, the most unlikely people. People, the, the lad who had the runny nose, the people who were always bullying, had this power within him to defeat enemies and terrorists and things like that. And so that had happened to me around the age of five. So I would, I was, I would captain various things, so football teams, stuff with the rowing crew, things like that. Um, so I, I believed the, the best in people from a sort of young age. So if we're playing football, you know, there were guys on the pitch who didn't want to play. But if they touched the ball, it was like, oh, wow, that is so good. You know, you kicked the ball. I don't care where it went. You actually touched the ball. You get to play. And, yeah, I would be inspired by that if somebody stepped up to something. So even as a young boy, you seem to have a a heart of a father. 
you could call it that now if you want. I, I certainly wasn't thinking like that at no. the time. I just uh, believed uh, there were big things for people. I wasn't there. I had all this shame and guilt and stuff, uh, trying to mix up life between. I wanted to be significant and known by people. So that's why I got into heavy metal when I was about 16, 17, trying to find my identity. So he was oh, a different group. this would have been a great moment for some pictures, wouldn't it? Oh, oh well, funny right enough, <laughs> what we've got. <laughs> so I, I got really heavily into embroidery as well. So, so I, I embroidered a denim jacket and my friends Are were giving Are you serious? I'm serious. All right. <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. you were joking. Yeah. No, I'll bring Like yeah. heavy metal and embroidery. Quick show of hands. Has anybody ever heard those two words in the same sentence? Oh, Graham Wilson, <laughs> he was in the embroidery club. You've yeah. yeah. <laughs> Embroidering Saxon, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, was, I, I was actually quite good. <laughs> so, so my friends were to, would you do my denim jacket as well? This is what I want. I want you know, a rainbow and a guitar and this man standing like, okay, fine. And that yeah, is so, so good. Be like, all this music be going on. <laughs> just like, We'll just split it up, make it very fine for this bit. <laughs> yeah, still got it at home. Yeah, so so yeah, I did think I was a little bit crazy in that sense. Um, that's why I got into occult. Yeah, uh, that affected my, f- which I didn't realise. So some of the bands, uh, I was really interested in heaven, hell, songs about there being holes in the sky where things would come through, spirits, those sort of things. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of the words about Lord of the Underworld or Master, which just, I had never thought that might be of any influence, of any damaging influence in my life. So when you sense. look back yep. now, yep. was this just like you had a spiritual hunger, but you just weren't quite sure yeah, where yeah. to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I would have said I had, from, I had a spiritual hunger, and, and that certainly developed at five, and then there was obviously 12, and then there was in my teen years this... You know, some of the songs, which I wasn't interested in, songs about drugs or sex. There were these songs that are about witches, wizards, you know, the magnificent, the, the miraculous, the other worlds and mm. things like that. And, um, and uh, yeah, I kind of, yeah, I went off to med school and that's where I met a lady called Ruth. So this is... Uh, Tell us uh, this story. Because, no! <laughs> because before you said, I just wanted a wife to drop from the sky... Yeah. yeah, well, she just came out. No, no. She's is she here? This, is she <laughs> she's, here? She's downstairs. She's downstairs. Oh, yeah. loving the kids. Yeah, so I went to med school, and one of the things there was that we had to write. A, we had to go and visit a pregnant mum and write up a project. And so it was about 130 percent a year, and I was assigned with Ruth. And I quite like Ruth. After <laughs> I decided, oh, she's quite nice. I haven't really done the whole girlfriend thing much. Um, she's a Christian, which kind of meant she carried a Bible around and went to lots of meetings at 7.30, was, was kind of <laughs> that impression. There was a lot of 7.30s in life. Um, but she, <laughs> she, she remembered my family. She would ask stuff. How's your mom? How's your dad? What's happening with your brother? So I'd, I'd never encountered anybody like that. And if you know Ruth, she's still like that today, isn't she? She is remarkable. 
So, where did Christians go? Oh, there was this guy called Billy Graham coming to Newcastle. I, I didn't know who he was, <laughs> but all the Christians. <laughs> so I just happened to wander down the back lane where Ruth was one day as she's making her way up to the medical school just by accident and decided to ask her, ask her out. Do you want to go and see Billy Graham? On your, on your first date? <laughs> You're Miami Vice cool, man. <laughs> And you weren't even a Christian at this point, Ruth. No. Oh. <laughs> she was ill, though, at the idea. Right. Because I, I realised... So her, her friend the next day told me that she, was, she was, had this vomiting illness, sickness. And I realised that I had upset something around faith, that she wanted me to go, but there was something that I wasn't quite yet. And, but that sent me on a journey of looking around lots of different churches, um, and yeah, I just yeah, I remember just having uh, something of a start of some spiritual encounters. I did a cycling holiday after the end of my first year at med school. And oh, well, I suppose med school fell apart. I think I told you that that weekend. So the weekend I asked Ruth out, um, life fell apart. I had the most horrendous fight with my flatmate at the time. I never did fights. I got really drunk. Um, I was going to be moving out of the house, and this was traumatic, so doors got broken, radiators, all sorts, and so I've got, still got a broken hand from that. Yeah, his mum came along, he had a black eye, I had a broken hand, and he's going, yeah, we both hit a door and fell over. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, yeah, you do really think your mum's pretty stupid, don't you? <laughs> so, but that was probably yeah, the lowest point of my life, and I told some lies. Yeah, I just didn't do that because I was so ashamed. I told people I had been jumped on in a park, and it just got worse. The more I told people about this, the more people knew, the more people asked, so I had to make up other things, and it was just getting worse. So that summer I did a cycling holiday around all my aunts and uncles up and down the country. I just cycled between them. And I felt like I was needing something spiritual. I went back to med school. I got involved with a group called Navigators. And that's when they started teaching me a lot of Bible verses. And, and, that, and the main, one of the main things was I'd found a group of people who, I wanted, who were living the lives I wanted to be amongst. And Hans, just for those who don't know the word navigators, so navigators, they a, a Christian group who work in universities helping young Christians kind of grow in their faith. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and people coming to faith and things. So that was, I was now finding a group of people who are, ah, they're living the life I want to. Um, so this is about 19 or so, 20. And then, then I go through depression at medical school. I go from... Top 10 in the year to bottom 10, and I lose my concentration, all sorts, and, and it, this Christian, Christianity thing isn't working out. And then somebody gives me a book called Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger, which is suddenly miracle stories are in here. And I'd never done, we, we talked about how to honor our parents or how to deal with our finances, but now this is miracles. And speaking in tongues, what was that? So I asked quite a lot of people at that stage, and they oh, no, that, those things don't happen today. And I was kind of, perhaps you want to read the book as well then, or something like that, because it's in here. So for us uh, to meet Kevin reading that book, was that kind of like you were, every page you were... Oh, oh it was... 
What did it did it feel like you were coming home? Like this is It felt like I needed this. Okay. I needed this. Find the person who can help me into this. Because okay. this needs to happen to me. Okay. And so I was on a journey of inquiry, whether as navigators, people in the hall of residence, and the, the most you know, the most unlikely person, there was a guy called Paul in the, in the hall of residence who just didn't live like other Christians. It was like, you know, he smoked and he drank and he went out and was like, but stuff would happen around his life. And it was like, you weren't supposed to do those things, Paul. You know, that's how I was sort of being taught. Um, and he explained how this thing, the Holy Spirit had come on him. So I arranged to go to a Pentecostal house group didn't know what Pentecost was, but I went to this so, church. So sorry then, Kevin. So kind of growing up, so you would have known something about God, yeah. Father? No, and um, I, I would have known there was a trinity. Father, okay. Jesus died on the cross. Okay. And I would have known a story where fire came on okay. um, the disciples in a room. Right. But connecting all that wouldn't have, okay. wouldn't have yeah. meant anything to me in that sense. Um, yeah, so I, I go to this Pentecost Coastal House Group, and they start asking for prayers that are woo. You know, they start, oh, can you pray for my family? That's fine. Then it's the miraculous. Pray for my ankle. Pray for finances we haven't got. That is a level uh, I just, wow, I've not heard that before. And so I say, I need some boldness. That's what I asked for. And these two people, Dorothy and Marcus, say, so have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? If that's this book, that's what I need. Yeah. So, yeah, come and pray for me. Um, my life changes that night. Wow. It's like stuff that was here suddenly comes into my life. It's like, wow. I wasn't speaking in tongues directly that night, but wow. It was like the scriptures I'd learned suddenly were climbing up out the page. I knew there was a kingdom of light, a kingdom of heaven. I knew that Jesus was alive. I knew that people needed to know this life of God. And and I went out and bought about 20 copies of Chasing the Dragon. And I started stopping people on the street. And have you ever been to Hong Kong? Have you ever heard of Hong Kong? Have you ever heard of books? You know, just yeah. and they just got these books. <laughs> you've got to read this. You've got to read this. And so then yeah, the new language arrived. And then it was like voices were happening as well. You know, I'd, I'd hear. Yeah. So sorry, when you say you hear voices, yeah. some people might go, oh, Kevin's hearing voices now. What do you mean by you hear voices or you heard yeah. voices? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, navigators were a bit more, Ooh, we need to come and see you, make sure you're all right. But I'd walk into a room and I, um, I heard these words, Southampton, 1986, um, I've chosen you, I've forgiven you, I'll give you everything if you follow me. And the guy spoke from Psalm 119, and he said, I think there's three things people need to know today. God has chosen you, God has forgiven you, and God will give you everything if you follow him. And I went up and told him, and he was part of an organization that didn't believe. He said, that didn't happen. (laughs) Well, there you go. I was kind of establishing at that stage that some people didn't believe this happened, and what was what was this experience I was going into where um, God was... Yeah, I believe this, this was God and this voice needed to be listened to. He could do things for me, tell me things, change my life. And I was just having a crazy daily experience with him. So very simply, Kevin, yeah. who is Holy Spirit? Wow. Well. <laughs> 
And there have been tombs and tombs written about who Holy yeah, Spirit thanks. is. <laughs> I know. But it's nice, as, we're, as you're talking there, because I, I sense there might be people in the room that you know the religious score, you know God from afar, but there's been a, a sense of dryness in regards to when people talk about Holy Spirit, and even now there might be fear sneaking into hearts because Kevin's talking about Holy Spirit. He says, oh, I'm okay with the story so far, but... So, Kevin, who's Holy Spirit? Well, there's the cerebral theological answer that he's part of the Trinity. To me, he is friend. Um, he is the one who reveals the mysteries, the things of heaven, shows me who God is, shows me who I am. Yeah. And the more I learn who I am, the more I learn who I'm called to be, to do. Um, you know, so much of my early life was about having to do things, perform, go to the same school as my dad, go to the same university as my dad, get the same job as my dad. It's like there was a bit of a theme going on there. And yet now there's this other sort of voice coming in that had changed me and was changing others. And, and I, was, I was getting life I was getting breath. I was getting sort of freedom. I mean, I have to say the occult thing kicked off for me, caught up with me. I had a lot of screaming and nightmares to start with. And I realized as I prayed and praised, that bad thing went away. Wow. And so, I, yeah, I drove my parents potty for a little while with that and things because they, they didn't know what was happening. Um, but this thing, this Holy Spirit was, yeah, giving me life, freedom, words, inspiration. I still had some bouts of depression. And I remember me thinking, oh, I've got a suicidal thought. And this message, this word came to me, you can't do that because I haven't finished with the purpose for your life yet. Oh, And it was like, that suicidal thought just, just went. And I was like, wow, because my purpose on the earth, and this is probably the age now, 23 or so, was not over. So forget that thought, or, or somehow that thought got broken. Things. Um, so, yeah, so quite a number of occulty things. So who is he? Um, um, a friend? My friend? My. Well, yeah, when you said okay. there, yeah. just, um, he is life, he is forgiveness, yeah. he is freedom, yeah. Yeah. he is wow. joy. I learned to forgive myself for the first time in life. I remember going through all these people that perhaps I needed to forgive, and then suddenly, oh, wow, yeah, he's allowing me to forgive myself for... Because I'd felt the guilt and shame of what happened at home, my responsibility, or that I felt the guilt and shame of being responsible for depression, that it was my fault. And so I started forgiving myself for some of that stuff and things. Now, if we were on ITV, we'd go to an advert now. Um, But we're not. Um, We, like, I feel we could chat for hours Kevin, and we're only nearly getting to the start. Like, in, in some ways, you know, you're 20, 21, and you're well... I'm 54, actually, but just... You know, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, but thanks, you know, I know. But that's it, you know, like, you're just beginning this journey yeah. of yeah. understanding yeah. more that God is not just a religion, but he's actually, he's yeah. in relationship and yeah. wants to be in relationship yeah. with me. Yeah. Yeah. And where you've had these yeah. negative thoughts... Yeah. Uh, God's saying, I've got a different story for oh, you. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, we've only got a few minutes left. Kevin, you, you've, you've always had this thing within you that you want to be a blessing. You want to help others, mm. those who haven't got a voice, who are not playing mm. on the team. Mm. Mm. Has it blown you away how God has just filled all of those young desires as a kid and you're seeing that happen now? Are, are you surprised when you see who you are today as a dad, you're allowed to touch it if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, it's, it's okay. Um, <laughs> as a dad and a granddad, yeah, wow, uh, yeah, and a I husband, just, yeah. you've been given all that you wanted and more. Absolutely, I've been satisfied with a family and wife and family. Yeah. So one of the things yeah, I do is write out my story, you know, the traumas from the past and stuff, and allow, yeah, just go wow. Yeah, the mind-blowing thought that God would come into my life. Wow. Everybody else's, perhaps, but for him to come into my life and be interested in me and be prepared to rewrite some of those stories and traumas and things. And, yeah, to know him personally and have a friendship and... Yeah, just to experience his his love and his care has been amazing. Now, I know, Kevin, as we've been talking and praying about this for a few weeks, that God has put some stuff on your heart also for this morning. And I don't know if you wanted to share some of that, because there might be some people here this morning who are feeling in those uh, epochs of time when you were there in a situation, is there any way out of this? Is there any hope for me in here? Is there any purpose for me so I don't know if you wanted to share some of that. If you don't, that's that's okay as well. Um, yeah. So should we do some ministry time? Yeah. Um, wow. Kevin, thank so, you so much for being vulnerable. Thank you. Feel your vulnerability. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. So if this is a place of vulnerability. Um, if anybody wants the ministry because you've had involvement with the occult, perhaps you want to stand, and that's that's a vulnerable space. If occult has touched your life, perhaps you want to stand. Um, perhaps if there's areas of depression and even suicidal thoughts that have affected folks, and let's let's pray for release on people's lives with respect to that as well. Um, don't with everybody standing. Okay, if anybody wants <laughs> a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, because there's something that that God is speaking to you through the story, then let's you know let's have you standing for a moment. But I feel like, particularly this morning, God wants to break agreements and oaths that people have made. That you have the right to break agreements, spiritual agreements and spiritual oaths that you've made in the past, and they made me maybe towards parents, and I cannot let them down. I've committed, or I've committed to some process, and God wants you to be able to break some agreements, some things that you've agreed, perhaps in the spiritual realm. That will never happen. That illness will never be broken. That provision will never come. That husband, wife will never happen. Where you're saying those things will never happen. It's become a spiritual agreement I just feel like God wants to break some of those spiritual agreements this morning. And if you're in that space and and you want to have some ministry, then let's do that.
I, I just had a sense of um, when Kevin talked before about running from. And I just wonder, these people in the room, and you're running from, whether it's a fear or an anxiety or um, whatever it is, um, or nearly that running to something, but it's elusive. And like the mirage, you, you, you try to get and it just disappears on that. Um, as we've only just started with Kevin's story, I want to encourage those who are here today that your story may only just be starting. This morning is not just a, a one morning stand, a one hit wonder. If you have a sense that God is beginning to stir up some deeper things, some bigger things, um, we would love to connect you with either some more prayer or some professionals who can help you walk into the freedom that God intended for you in this. Um, why, don't, why don't we all stand? Okay, I was going to pray for specifically for these people. Perhaps yeah. lay hands on these folks in some yeah, ways. Yeah, well, people have asked. It, yeah, yeah. yeah you got to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, if two or three people want to move over to these folks to make sure that they're being prayed for so we know the people are standing. Yeah, two or three folks. Great, thanks. You might want to ask them and they can say whatever they, they need. Um, and do you want everybody to stand as well? Yeah, and I yep. think we'll all then stand. And then, Sounds so Kevin, good. you pray for us. Yep. Okay. So, Heavenly Father, thank you, Father, for your presence here this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. And your desire this morning is not just life, but life to the full. So Holy Spirit, just come and express all that we need you to be today. It's not a case of what I can do for you, God, but what can you do for me this day? So Holy Spirit, come and bring, breathe life, I pray. Father, come afresh, your Holy Spirit, upon lives now. Break mindsets in seconds that perhaps would take years of education. Do it in moments, I pray, Father. Holy Spirit, just come while there's been mood ups and downs and break, speak into those mood swings, ups and downs now, Father. Show us, show us, Father, what freedom looks like and feels like. Not just words on the page of a book, but an experience of the freedom of Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And while there's pain, deep pain, emotional pain, do what you do. You're a, a man who took our sorrows and you pinned them at the cross, Lord. They belong to you. They don't belong to me. So Holy Spirit. And just physical pain as well. In ankles, just want to break physical pain affecting people's ankles now. Holy Spirit, come and work. Okay.